You know, friends, uh, covenants are part of life. I'm sure some of you have uh, bought a piece of property sometime and, and uh, there were stipulations, there were covenants you had to sign off that you were going to build with certain materials, build a certain size and within a color, certain color scheme. And uh, I think subdivisions look really good when there are some covenants like that. You, know, you don't have this pink vinyl house in the midst of it. But Anyways, friends, covenants are part of life. Here's an example of a family covenant. As family members, we covenant to communicate to our parents what we have really appreciated about them while they can still enjoy and savor our comments. As family members, we covenant together to care for our parents in their latter years. As family members, we covenant in the death of our parents to settle matters of the estate in a manner that would bring a smile to their face. Likewise, you know, if you're a member here at Summit Drive, and maybe not even a member, you have covenanted in your heart to love this community of people in good times and in difficult times as we seek together to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Covenants are part of life. You know, if you're married here this morning, there was a day you stood before witnesses, God and his witnesses, and you covenanted with that other person to stay committed to them in both good and, yes, challenging times. And it's, you know what? It's a really good thing we do because, well, marriage is glorious but hard. Marriage is difficult and painful yet rewarding and wondrous, to quote Timothy Keller. And I think we all know something about that. Yes, covenants are part of life. We make them with other human beings on a fairly regular basis. And as well, the God of creation makes covenants with you and I. In Genesis chapter 9, we read of this covenant that God made with Noah and all of humankind with these words, Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And of course, the beautiful sign of that covenant is the rainbow that we see in our skies. In the Bible, God also made a covenant with an individual by the name of Abraham. And it was really an incredible, incredible covenant. He said, Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. I'm going to give your descendants the land of Canaan. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Kings are going to come from you. And then here's the part of the covenant I like the most. Abraham, through your descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed. And we know that's the good news of the gospel because Christ was born into his family tree. God also made a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel in the year 1446 B.C. And I had someone catch me at the door this morning and he says, I've done some really search, really great detailed research on that date and I think it's a little early so I'm going to have to go back to work. But I'm going to just give you the date, 1446, when God made a covenant with Abraham, excuse me, Moses and the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And yes, God also made many other covenants including a covenant with King David. And we read about it in 2 Samuel. And it was really a beautiful covenant. He says, David, someone's always going to sit on your throne. And of course, we know who that ultimately is. It's King Jesus himself who sits on the throne and it's an everlasting throne. To say the very least, the God of the Bible is a covenant-making God. 
And the purpose of these covenants, of course, is relationship. He really wants to do life with his creation. Of note, the word covenant is found 298 times in our Bibles. 262 times in the Old and 36 times in the New, which reminds us that this is a theme that goes from Genesis right through to the last book of Bible, the book of Revelation. So this morning I'd like to talk about this concept of covenant. But more specifically about the covenant that God made with Moses, yes, and the children of Israel, but also the new covenant that God made with the children of Israel and you and I sitting here this morning. So at this time I'm going to have you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And if you forgot your Bible this morning, I encourage you to go to your bulletin and you'll find today's text there printed in full. And please note, as I read this passage, eight verses in all, the word covenant shows up seven times. So open our hearts now as we read this passage, and may God speak to each of us through this text here this morning. Verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant, and this is the key line, is established on better promises. Verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, and now I'm going to read a quote here. The writer of Hebrews is quoting from the prophet Jeremiah, and this was written 600 years before he quoted this. And it's the longest Old Testament quote to be found in the New Testament. And this is what Jeremiah wrote. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Yes, obsolete. No more need for a sacrificial system. No more need for an Old Testament priesthood. No more need for the temple. No more need for the religious festivals. And the verse closes by saying, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now in the passage before us today, the first reference of the word covenant is found in verse 6 where we're informed that Jesus not only has a ministry that is superior to the priests of the Old Testament, but also that the covenant of which he is the mediator is far superior to that covenant that God made with those who came out of Egypt in the year close to 1446 BC. So what does it mean that Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant? Well, friends, the term mediator is a legal term for one who, for one who arbitrates between two different parties. 
Some of you maybe have participated as a mediator, an arbitrator between two parties, or maybe you've been one of those two parties where you've needed a mediator. And one thing for sure is if someone's meeting mediation for you, doing mediating work for you, you want someone who's really, really fair. And you know in the case of Jesus, he's the perfect mediator because he so loves God the Father and he so loves us, the ones that God, that he is mediating between, Right? He is the perfect mediator. No one loves the Father more and loves us more than Jesus. And I think most of you realize the problem between the two parties. Yes, between a holy God and sinful man. And that problem is simply that of sin. Yes, the sin passed down to us by the first man who ever lived. Yes, Adam. And the sin we all, in fact, engage in. Sin creates, friends, a barrier between a holy God and a sinful man. So to solve the problem, Jesus takes upon himself the sins of the whole world. Yes, the sins of the most evil people who ever lived on this planet, and I bet you in your mind you can think of some of those people today as you read the books, of, books that contain historical stories. I'm mostly, most recently thinking of what happened at Auschwitz. Yes, he takes the sins of all those people upon himself, including the sins of your wonderful neighbor who, yes, has also failed to love as they should have. And after taking upon himself the sins of the whole world, he goes to a Roman cross and receives the punishment that our sins deserve, making forgiveness possible for all who embrace what he did for us on that Roman cross. Without a doubt, Jesus is a loving, sacrificial mediator. Now, I'm going to say more about this as we work our way through this passage today. Yes, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And as well, I want to focus in on how the new covenant that Jesus introduces is far superior to the old one. But before I do that, let me just talk a little bit about that old covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel after they'd come out of Egypt. If you were to read just six chapters in the book of Exodus you would understand that God really wanted to do life with the Israelites. He wanted to have a relationship with them. In fact, in chapter 19, God made it so very clear that he wanted Israel to be his treasured possession. I love that term, his treasured possession. As well, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Hey, you can read about this again, friends, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But in other words, friends, God wanted to have a loving relationship with them, and as well, he wanted to partner with them in ministry as the terms a kingdom of priests and holy nation, and holy nation imply. Yes, they were to be set apart, that's what holiness is all about, to be a light to the nations. God had such great big plans for this nation. Now, to this point in time, God had already blessed them. He, he brought them out of slavery. He delivered them from Pharaoh's army. He began to feed them in the desert. Friends, God had such great big plans for these people. And at this point now, in the covenant that he wanted to make with them, that he in fact did make with them, was going to be a covenant of ongoing blessing. If you were to read Deuteronomy chapter 28, you'd see the long list of blessings that he wanted to pour out on this nation. They were going to be financially blessed. 
They were always going to be the lender, never the lendee. Their, their crops were going to be blessed. Their families were going to be blessed. Their military was going to be blessed. It truly was a covenant. It was going to be about ongoing blessing. And yes, in return, God asked for a response from them. He wanted them to obey, yes, as you all know, the Ten Commandments. But even more specifically than that, he wanted this nation to obey the Book of the Covenant. And we find that right in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 22, right to chapter 23, verse 19. It, you might say, flushes out the Ten Commandments with some other stipulations as well. Well, Moses stood up one day and read this covenant to the entire nation. I don't know how he did that without a sound system because there was probably about a million people there. So maybe he got in a real good place where they could hear him. And after reading it, here's how they responded. Everything the Lord has said we will do. We will obey. And some of you are thinking famous last words, right? Because as we read our Old Testament, we discover that over and over again, they broke the covenant. And so God sent them prophets. And he raised up godly kings. And for a time, the people seemed to rally and come back to the Lord God who made this covenant with them. But for the most part, they wandered away. They kept wandering away. And so after many, many years of rebellion, God sent both the northern and southern kingdoms that were broken apart by sin and sent them into captivity, into exile. Today's passage actually makes that clear and gives us the one word reason why. And that one word is unfaithfulness that we read about in verse 9. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So God turned away from them. Hebrews 8, 9. Yes, he sent them into exile. But while in exile, he sent another prophet. Yes, the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said to him, God is going to make a new covenant with you. That's what we read about in verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And for that matter, with you and I here sitting this morning. And as we read in verse 6 of today's passage, the writer of Hebrews says that this new agreement, that this new covenant was going to be far superior to the old covenant. And now in verses 10, 11, and 12, we're told why this covenant is better. Yes, it's established on better promises. So let's take a closer look at that this morning. Let me just summarize my own understanding of this new covenant. First of all, the new covenant promises to address our hearts. Secondly, the new covenant promise is to establish a close relationship with God. And thirdly, the new covenant promises personal knowledge of God. And fourthly, and this is really central to the covenant, forgiveness from our sins. So let me now explain what I believe God wants us to understand about the new covenant. Yes, it's found in the book of Hebrews, but also as foretold by the prophet of Jeremiah when he spoke those words 600 years before Christ came to earth. So firstly then, the new covenant promises to address our hearts. Hmm. Yes, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Now, you know in the Old Testament, God wrote out the Ten Commandments on what? On tablets of stone. 
But now through the new covenant of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, God's laws are being written on human hearts so that we, in fact, want to do the very things that the laws are asking us to do. And friends, you know, since love for God and love for others fulfills the law, and since love for God and love for others really is what the laws are all about, yes, all 623 of them, we can be so encouraged that God's new covenant is all about putting love for him and love for others within us. So that, yes, we love because it comes from the heart. Friends, this is both so very needed, so very beautiful, and I want to say so very supernatural. Although I'm convinced that all of humankind can do good things simply because they're created in the image of God, the new covenant goes beyond natural motivations and natural human desires. For when we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit seeks to produce what? Virtue in our lives, like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and, yes, self-control. Furthermore, with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can actually fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And Paul puts it this way in his great letters to the Roman church. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, that is, without God in our lives, without the Spirit, but according to the Spirit. Friends, we have a new source of life, energy, and power within us made possible by the new covenant. And this truth, I think, is made most clear in Paul's letter to the second letter to the church in Corinth, especially in verse 18, where Paul says this. And we all, friends, include yourself in this, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. A process for sure. It will not happen overnight. But regardless of where Christ finds us in all our brokenness, a transformation will begin to take place. And I see it all the time in the lives of those who embrace Christ. The older you get, the more chances you have to see what people were like before Christ and what they're like after Christ. And the transformation is real, but most certainly it's a process. Furthermore, I should say, that if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the context makes it very clear that Paul is actually talking about covenants. Paul goes on to say, yes, the old covenant was like a letter written on tablets of stone, but the New Testament is a covenant written on human hearts by the Holy Spirit. And because the Spirit gives us new life, be assured that what God began in us he will bring to completion one day when we'll actually reflect the likeness of Christ. Friends, we have a new dynamic, a new source of power, and it's within us, and it's seeking to change us from the inside out. And you know what, friends? We all live from the heart. You go to the book of Proverbs, and, and, and the father says to the son, oh, above all else, son, guard your heart, because all the issues of life will flow from your heart all your attitudes, all your behaviors, and Jesus affirms the very same thing. Out of the good heart, good things come. Out of an evil heart, evil things come. So praise God for the new covenant. God is at work in our hearts. And this is one reason why the new covenant is so incredibly superior 
to the old covenant. Secondly, the new covenant promises to establish a close relationship with God. And we read that in the latter part of verse 10. I will be their God and they will be my people. And some of you are saying, well, that was true in the Old Testament as well. And I would agree. But friends, the God who revealed himself in the New Testament revealed himself in a whole new way. Yes, they knew something about God's love and his grace towards them. But in the new covenant, friends, they got to encounter the God who had actually sent his very own son to die for them. And that took their relationship to a whole new level. And now thirdly, the new covenant promises personal knowledge of God. Once again, verse 11. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I'm sure the writer of Hebrews is not telling us here that there's no need for teachers anymore or prophets, because in fact those gifts are given to the New Testament community, the New Covenant community, to build the church up. Rather, what I believe this verse is saying is that personal genuine knowledge of God is not limited to a privileged few. Let me say it again. Personal, genuine knowledge of God is not limited to a privilege of few, maybe those who have had more education than others. Because the relationship is open to all who embrace Christ, all those who seek him. You know, I think I can demonstrate here this morning how personal this faith is. If I would begin to each have the time here to interview each of you before you left today, all of you would be able to tell me something about your walk with the Lord. Some of you might say, oh, Harry, I, the relationship is not really good right now. I, I, I've just been so busy. I haven't been listening to him, but I know I want to come back. And that's a sign of spiritual life. And others of you would say to me, you know what, I've never had a stronger faith than I have right now. Christ is so real to me. He's speaking to me every day. When I read the scriptures, I hear him speaking to me personally. And you know, that's why I love to ask that question. What's God doing in your life? And that's why I'm looking forward to next Sunday night, by the way. And Dave didn't say this, but I have people who in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s and 70s, all lined up to share a testimony of what God is doing in their life. And if we have an 88-year-old here this morning, please see me after the service. Friends, the new covenant brought about by Jesus' death promises knowledge of God. Personal knowledge. You remember two weeks ago when Jill shared from um, John's gospel and she shared that wonderful illustration of sheep that know the shepherd's voice? Well, you know, the reality is he was teaching that you also know the shepherd's voice. And that's why I can expect to you have an answer when I ask, hey, what's going on in your life, Brenda? Brenda, you'd be able to tell me. I'm not going to put you on the spot to do that, but you'd be able to do that because you know the shepherd's voice. Hmm. The new covenant takes us into God's very presence. You know, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, no one could go into the Holy of Holies. This very special part in the tabernacle to have a meeting with God personally. Only the high priest and only once a year. But in the New Covenant, we're told what? With great confidence to boldly come before God in the name of Christ. You are welcomed into his presence anytime because you're coming with Christ. 
He has made a way to you to have a wonderful, close, intimate relationship with God. And now fourthly, and I think this is most certainly at the heart or central to the new covenant. The new covenant promises us that our sins will be forgiven. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The new covenant, the new covenant, friends, addresses our need to be forgiven. And that's something we all need to experience. I also like what the writer is suggesting here in verse 12, that God doesn't remember our sins anymore once they've been confessed. We sure do. We have a tough time putting them behind us. But it seems that God has it within himself, because of his greatness, to blot out our sins from his memory if we once embrace the forgiveness offered to us in Christ. Friends, earlier in my message, I shared with you my understanding of Christ's death on the cross on our behalf. Let me just elaborate a little more here this morning because the book of Hebrews makes it so very, very clear that the one-time sacrifice of Christ is all we ever need to be forgiven. To quote from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Friends, I'm sure that no one here this morning feels perfect. But that's what is true about us if we embrace Christ's death on our behalf. No, not perfect in the sense that we'll never sin again, but perfect in the sense that our sins will never be held against us again because Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. There's a fellow, I think he's Australian, his name is Leon Morris, and he wrote a lot about what Christ did on the cross for us. And he makes it clear that the gospel takes people who are far from perfect and makes them fit to be in God's presence forevermore. Friends, that's true of you this morning if you've embraced Christ. Christ has made you fit to be in his presence forevermore. You know, I I spoke about the new covenant this morning and and how it allows us to be forgiven. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, as I read the Old Testament, there were sure a lot of people getting forgiven there. And it's true. And it's true. But did you know this? That all their sins that they committed in the Old Testament were taken care of by Christ? It was Christ's death that allowed David and all those other Old Testament characters to find forgiveness. And I quote here from the book of Hebrews again. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set free, set them free from the sins committed when? Under the first covenant. So you can see how the cross is the, like the pivotal point of history. And, it, and it, it serves retroactively to those who sinned before he came and died for them. So although the Old Testament saints were, yes, to practice the sacrificial system, ultimately it was Christ's sacrifice that took care of their sins. Friends, Christ's death on our behalf makes forgiveness possible. It makes the new covenant a reality. In Christ's own words, on the night that he was betrayed, he had a cup in his hand filled with wine, and he infused new meaning into it when he said, this is, my blood of the, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Yes, in the new covenant, we are promised forgiveness based on Christ's death. To summarize, 
The new covenant promises to address our hearts, to establish a close relationship with God, personal knowledge of God, and yes, forgiveness from our sins. And friends, in doing so, the new covenant, friends, addresses really, I think, our deepest needs of all. Our need to be transformed from the inside out. Speaking for myself, I'm so keenly aware of my need to be transformed in the depths of my being. Yes, in my heart. And so I'm so grateful that the New Testament addresses this need of mine by pouring his Holy Spirit into my life. The New Testament, I mean the New Covenant as well, addresses our need for a close relationship with God. Again, speaking for myself, without God in my life, I'd be so greatly impoverished, I'd be a materialist, I know I would be. But having God in my life has changed everything. In fact, if I didn't have God in my life, I think I would be like that person described in Ecclesiastes. You know that person in Ecclesiastes who Solomon says he finds life is totally meaningless when you only view life from under the sun. In other words, when you exclude God. And finally, friends, the new covenant most certainly addresses our need to experience forgiveness. We all know our propensity to sin and the guilt it produces and the regret it produces. But in Christ, we can know that our sins are forgiven forevermore. Friends, through Christ, we've entered into the new covenant. I like to call it God's great new agreement. An agreement that's so rich and so deep, I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend it. But what I do understand about it reminds me that the new covenant is really all about relationship. It's most certainly about love. Even Nehemiah called the Old Testament a covenant of love. And it's most certainly a covenant of hope that fills our hearts with hope. Friends, I'm so glad that the God of the Bible is a covenant-making God. Amen? He's made one with us.